really need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White. Before we have retired police commissioner Garnell Whitfield on, I want to share remarks made by President Biden and Vice President Harris during the United We Stand summit on September 15th. Your, uh, your presence is a testament to the truth that we must and we can come together regardless of our backgrounds, our beliefs. We have to stand united against hate fuel violence because it's real. You know better than anyone. To affirm that an attack on one group of us is literally an attack on all of us. Today, America is again looking at and confronting the epidemic of hate-fueled violence. In Oak Creek, Orlando, Victoria, Pittsburgh, El Paso, Atlanta, Buffalo, and in so many other communities. We have seen our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones attacked simply because of who they are or where they pray. How do we rebuild? I thought of an acronym called PRIME. And that P stands for preparedness. We were not prepared. We're not prepared for domestic terrorism. We have to know that we missed all the signs. Our instinct, when I talk to the TOPS employees, our patients, our community, their instinct told them. Their instinct told them that this, this shooter that had been coming for months was something wrong, but we didn't have the knowledge. We didn't have the knowledge to know what domestic terrorism was. So we missed all the signs. We ignored the signs. He was hiding in plain sight. We went to war with an enemy we couldn't see. And that last clip you heard from the summit was by Community Health Center of Buffalo CEO, Dr. LaVon Ansari. With me right now to talk about attending the summit, optimism, and continuing to move forward post 514 is retired Buffalo Fire Department Commissioner Garnell Whitfield, the son of Ruth Whitfield, who tragically lost her life on 514. Garnell, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Uh, talk about your relationship with Vice President Kamala Harris. She was at your mom's funeral. Mm -hmm. The two of you spoke again recently on her visit to Buffalo. In 2020, hate crimes in the United States surged to the highest rate in over a decade. I know the horror and the pain that these attacks 
cause. Earlier this year, I visited Buffalo to attend the memorial service of Mrs. Ruth Whitfield. And yesterday, I returned there to meet again with the families, those families who lost loved ones in that tragedy. During both of my visits to Buffalo, I saw heartbreak and pain. And I also saw incredible determination to find hope in the midst of despair. The determination to meet darkness with light, to meet division with unity. It is a spirit that is shared by so many in this room. And it is the spirit our nation must summon today. Today, we must rededicate to joining together to help our communities prevent, respond, and recover from acts of hateful violence. And our administration is committed to lead in this effort by investing resources in violence prevention programs to stop these horrific acts, and by strengthening how we support communities after the unimaginable has happened. I strongly believe no one should ever be made to fight alone, not on this. We must stand together. Students, parents, educators, faith leaders, business leaders, and law enforcement officials. And we must clearly say that a harm against any one of us is a harm against all of us. We are at an inflection point in our history, and indeed, in our democracy. Years from now, our children and our grandchildren, they're going to ask us, what did you do at that moment? What did you do to help protect our communities, to fight hate-fueled violence, and to build a better nation? Well, I have confidence in what we're going to be able to say. We will tell them we were all here together today. And we will tell them that in this moment, we stood united. We stood firm in our belief that we all have so much more in common than what separates us. We stood firm in our belief that out of many, we are one. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> for you to uh, characterize it as a relationship uh, is, is, is just uh, brings it into focus for me. Um, she uh, uh, empathetically, graciously, uh, and sincerely, I believe, appeared, uh, 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 made an appearance at my mom's memorial service, uh, her and her husband, the first gentleman, um, and since that time, uh, we've been in a pretty, uh, I would say, considering she's a vice president, frequent communication. Uh, I in her office, mostly with her staff. 
Um, but directly uh, when she uh, came to Buffalo and when I had an opportunity to revisit uh, um, the White House. Do you think your connection to her will make a difference? Um, the way you describe it, it seems like it's more than just thoughts and prayers. Um, it is more than just thoughts and prayers. I believe her to be sincere uh, in her desire to mitigate uh, the, uh, you know, the uh, proliferation of gun violence in, in our communities. Uh, I believe her to be sincere in her expression of remorse and, uh, uh, you know, sympathy for us and the loss of our mother and all the victims' families. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I do have... Uh, uh, I do believe that this is making a difference. It has already made a difference, certainly in our lives personally, but uh, uh, you know, uh, also in the struggle to mitigate these issues. You were at the White House summit. Um, can can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I was uh, honored to uh, again, uh, you know, be invited to the summit. Uh, to be participatory in that, and to to hear uh, all of the uh, uh, all of the uh, <clears throat> work that's going on that the president and the uh, and his administration are are attempting to do uh, in terms of you know dealing with these issues of hate and racism and bigotry in America, um, and it was well attended. Uh, we had uh, you know high placed uh, faith leaders. There, um, people in, in, in high, you know, uh, officials in different government agencies, um, uh, and uh, so I mean, I was encouraged by by that. Were you able to meet or speak with President Biden? Uh, I did not speak with the president at that particular uh, time at the summit. Uh, you know, it was a it was a, it was a crowded field there, um, but I was able to you know hear his address. Um, you know, we were in proximity to him, um, but it was, uh, he was addressing uh, the nation, basically. Um, and uh, so that was not, that didn't present an opportunity for me to speak personally with him. What did, what did you think of his address? Um, I thought it was hopeful. I mean, I thought it was sincere. Again, uh, I thought it was hopeful. I'm very much supportive of anyone and everyone who identifies uh, this moment in time as uh, critical in our nation's history. Uh, um, we are on the precipice of, of great change, um, hopefully for the better. Um, but I'm not naive enough to think it couldn't go the other way. Um, so there are, there are people in high places in this country who are looking to uh, proliferate uh, violence and hate within our community, uh, looking to cause divisiveness, uh, even more so than it is, um, looking to hold on to power at any cost, and that has to be dealt with. It has to be addressed. Um, so, for the fact that uh, the summit was held and it identified uh, uh, white supremacy, white nationalism, and racism, bigotry, and hate as the number one threat to our homeland, to our communities, we already knew that. But to hear uh, the powers that be say that is encouraging. You also testified earlier this year before Congress. Mm -hmm. um, do you believe Congress has done their job? Are they doing their job? Uh, what, what would you, is there anything that they're not doing that you'd like to see them do or um, there, address? No, certainly there's a lot more that we all can do. And so you asked me, uh, do I believe Congress is doing their job? 
Uh, no. Do I believe I'm doing my job? No. None of us are doing what we could do, all we can do, uh, to address these issues. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, before 514, uh, I'm part of the problem uh, because, you know, I, I see these things happening on TV. I see other people going through what I'm going through, uh, and I empathize. You know, I sympathize. Um, but I didn't really do anything, quite frankly. Um, you know, I vote. You know, I do those things, but I was not an activist. I was not out uh, speaking truth to power and trying to bring about change uh, within our communities. And so uh, I accept responsibility for having been a part of the problem. Um, uh, the senators have a job to do. Um, I'm asking them to do their job. They took an oath. Uh, they took an oath mm -hmm. to represent us, the people. Um, they work for us. And, and so while I'm saying I'm asking them to do their job, I'm demanding that they do their job. Um, and, you know, it, it, I don't exactly know, uh, have all the answers, uh, but I'm asking them to do the right thing. Uh, first of all, to uh, not sweep this under the rug, uh, not, not be distracted, um, and, you know, and not try to uh, gloss over this. Uh, sure, all of the things they're working on, gun violence, all of those things are very, very important. And I support, you know, uh, you know, uh, gun legislation. I support all of those kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is white supremacy and white nationalism have to be at the forefront of this conversation. We have to acknowledge America's history, America's uh, participation in, in these things. And, um, you know, not doing so is a non-starter. Are you optimistic that, <clears throat> given that you went before Congress, you can you can affect change in politicians who who maybe are trying to sweep this under a rug or who don't believe uh, white supremacy, uh, anti-black hatred is a problem in this country? I believe anytime we the people accept our responsibility to hold those in power accountable, we have power. We have power until we acquiesce it away, until we give it away. Um, so do I believe I had some impact? I'd like to think I did. Um, but it wasn't me, you know? It, it was it was my mom. <laughs> you know, it was the victims of 514. Um, it was, it, it was, that's what moved them. It, you know, I, you know I, I talked about it, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, there are people who have lost their lives. There are people who are, have suffered tremendously uh, due to these things and um, too innumerable to name. Um, and so um, I've, you know, had the opportunity to speak to them. Um, and that's that's what I talked to them about. And that's what moved them if they were moved at all. You are listening to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Thomas O'Neill White, and with me is retired Buffalo Fire Department Commissioner Garnell Whitfield. You touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, what would you like to see coming out of this? Uh, gun control? Anything beyond gun control? Is there anything that the nation can do about racism? Like concrete? Well, I mean, first and foremost... We as a people, we as a nation, have to acknowledge we were built on racism. This country emanated from hate, from racism, from bigotry, 
from uh, treating people unequitably, unequally. That's the basis of this country's birth. I mean, that's where we came from. Um, the fact that we are here today in 2022, still having these conversations about whether in fact uh, we're going to have equal opportunity, equitable opportunity in the United States of America is a sin before God. It is. Um, so you ask me, am I encouraged? Um, uh, I'm hopeful because I believe in God. I trust him. But I don't trust this government. I don't trust men to do the right thing. I have no faith in the systems. The systems were born to help perpetuate these injustices. Mm -hmm. That's the, by design. Um, so, um, you know, while I believe America is a great nation and it has the potential to be greater and to be that utopian place, to be that place where all people are treated equal and fairly. Um, it is not that now. It has never been that. We strive to be that, but not all of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, um, um, I'm, I'm, I, you know, based on what I see today, uh, I'm very concerned about the world that my children and my grandchildren and their children will inherit. I know this is a uh, a pretty broad question, but is it is it a case of dismantling the current systems that 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 we have all grown up with to make this change? Well, I mean, in some cases, in some cases, there are laws on the books that need to be enforced that are not being enforced. In some cases, new laws have to be made because there are gaps in the current laws. And there are, in some cases, laws that have helped perpetuate these injustices, and they've got to be torn down. <laughs> they've got mm -hmm. to be. So, you know, some of the system has to be tweaked and built up and shored up, some new pieces added to it, but some of it has to be deconstructed. You know, redlining, <laughs> you know, yeah. all of the different things that have perpetuated injustices and inequities in, within our communities have to be addressed. And you can't tweak that. It has to be gotten rid of. <laughs> you know, if you got a bad apple uh, in the crate, um, you know, uh, you got to get that apple out of the crate or the rest of the apples go bad. Yep. And so that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to take a look holistically at our society and and see where those injustices lie and deal with them some of the summit talked about hate speech and changing the climate cutting off things that create shooters uh does that have a chance uh what about the first amendment you know there's a lot of people who who you know are are adamant about the first amendment and their their right to freedom of speech you know where does where does where does hate speech come into that equation? Well, first of all, when you when you use the Constitution as a reference point, you need to understand that uh, the Constitution did not see us as whole people, <laughs> and so it wasn't necessarily written for us in the first place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we got to start from there. Um, um, you know, um, and I would. 
I would support your right to speak freely and to act freely until it impinges upon others. Simple as that. Um, and that's why there's other amendments after the first and after the second amendment that deal with that. Because out of necessity, they had to create, uh, uh, put some guardrails up or whatever. So yeah, you have rights, but you do not have the right to impinge upon my rights. And so, you know, we can reasonably talk about that, but you always hear about the Second Amendment, Second Amendment, right, to bear arms or whatever. Mm -hmm. First of all, you know, I mean, this document was written at a time when assault weapons didn't exist. It took a couple minutes to load a, mus a musket or whatever they were yeah. using back then. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So a ball you, and some gunpowder. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so this is a different day and age. We have to evolve. Our laws have to evolve. Okay, um, how we deal with these things have to has to evolve, you know. I mean, the gun lobby. I mean, all of this money that's being poured into the pockets of these politicians, corrupting them, uh, causing them to act in a manner that is not in the people's best interest. All of that stuff has to be dealt with. I mean, this is a, this is not a simple thing. We didn't get here overnight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it took a long time and a lot of thought by a lot of pretty smart people to create this system such as it is. How do we counteract the gun lobby, the, the, the all-powerful gun lobby? Well, first of all, by, by accepting the fact that we, <laughs> I mean, uh, we are human beings. We have a responsibility to each other to protect each other, to guard against this, uh, the gun lobby. I mean, what I mean, assault weapons, and we're not talking about guns. Uh, first of all, a gun. What is a gun for? A gun is to uh, kill, is to take life, and you can call it a, a, a mechanism of defense or whatever way you want to. Um, but the purpose of a gun is to catapult. Okay, a projectile <laughs> into the flesh of a living thing, period. That's what a gun is. Okay, so, I mean, you know, um, yeah, so in the Constitution we have a right to bear arms and all these other things, but um, why would you have weapons of war on the streets of our cities and our communities? Um, you can't go buy a tank and drive it down Main Street. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can't you can't go buy a rocket launcher and park it in your driveway. Why can you buy uh, assault weapons, body armor, and all those kinds of things that are weapons of war and house them in your home and in, in our community? I want to ask you, um, you know, we're, we're, we're several months removed from, from 514, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling uh, tired, frustrated, very angry, and very sad. Um, I'm feeling like there's a hole in my in my world. I'm, I'm, my 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 world is completely different than it used to be. You know, somebody just plucked probably the biggest piece of my life. Oh, took it away from me. Took it away from my family. And didn't just take it from me. 
She what you gotta understand is that, you know, yeah, it was my mom. But I got two sisters. I got a brother. You know what I'm saying? I've got I got four children. I got nine grandchildren. I got four great grandchildren. Okay? I got a father who was completely dependent on her for his quality of life. Um and there's been innumerable people since this has happened that have coming out of the woodwork and talking about what she meant to them. So it's just not a singular thing. You know, I'm sitting here and you're talking to me and, you know, I, I got to, you know, you got to understand it's much bigger than me. It's much bigger than all of us. It's much bigger than, than I mean, in Buffalo, Buffalo was different. You know, you got Uvalde, and I've been, I just left, I just left, uh, you know, uh, Washington, D.C. with the families from Uvalde, with the families from Highland Park. Just last week I was with them, and I've been with these families. I've been with the Tree of Life synagogue families in Pittsburgh. I've been all of, the, all of these places. And, and there's, you know, in Uvalde, the kids, you know, and all of these school shootings are these kids, innocent kids. And it tugs at your heart. It's just a, it's just a shame that these kids lose their lives. But what you got to understand in Buffalo is this: this was a white supremacist who killed people in our community that were long-standing pieces of our community. They had deep roots. They were well connected. They touched a lot of people's lives. It's it's so impactful. They took our elders. They took our elders. It's like cutting the heart out of something. Um, and it's different. And, you know, not to be unempathetic or unsympathetic. I just need to point out that difference between what happened there and what happened here. Yeah, I think people who are not from Buffalo don't understand a how tight knit just the region is, but even more specifically the black community Absolutely. within Buffalo. Everyone yeah. knows everyone. Everyone. And knows. if they're not your if they're not your blood relative, they're just as close. They're family, man. Their family, we are, um, you know, we, <laughs> you know, we come from different experiences, but at the end of the day, we're black in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and so there's a commonality there. We're family, you know what I'm saying? You asked me when I came here, did I know a certain person yeah. that you knew as a kid? Uh-huh. And I know that person, you know what I'm saying? That's how Buffalo is, man. We're all connected, man. I had a young lady. I had a young lady call me out of the blue. This, this this lady is, I think, 34, 35 years old. She reached out to me, and she told me the story about having met my mother when she was a young child, having visited our church one or two times, maybe, and met my mother, and she's 30-something years old, and she's talking about how that changed her life, how that impacted her, man. You know what I'm saying? And she's, and she's blessing us now through her current position uh, what she what she's doing now by helping us care for our father. She wanted to do that because she met my mother when she was a child, man. You know what I'm saying? These are these are the kinds of stories and these are the kind of things we're finding that we didn't even know about. We mm-hmm. had no clue. 
we knew who our mother was to us. But until she was taken from us and people started reaching out and started talking about their interactions with her, we didn't know. We didn't know how, how, how broad, you know, how broad her influence was, how broad her reach was. Yeah. Have you found a connection speaking and meeting with with other families who lost loved ones in Uvalde and, and other places? Uh, you know, absolutely. Um, uh, it's been an honor, you know, and a blessing. It's also been very difficult, very difficult because we're constantly, every moment reliving this. And if it's not my story, it's their story. Um, and it, it is just devastating. And so, you know, um, it's been a very, very difficult week. Very difficult, very difficult week. Um, being around the families, seeing that they're still in pain, you know, three, four, five years later, and sometimes even longer, still grieving. You know what I'm saying? Still trying to find their way. I'm still trying to effectuate some positive change, trying to channel that energy into something positive. It's been very difficult. Um, but one of the other things I found in being around uh, many of these families from different communities um, is that it's, you know, <laughs> there's a reason why. Well, you know, on the one hand, you know, Highland Park, they were at a, they were at a uh, parade. Mm-hmm. And the school shootings are the school shootings. They are what they are. They're, they're, there's a common thread to all of those. Um, uh, you know, but our community was targeted specifically because of long-standing issues within our community. It being a food desert, you know, it being a place where poor black people have been corralled down through the years by redlining, by devaluation, by disinvestment, by no investment. Um, all of the things that help you know, um, make this community a target, mm-hmm. uh, makes this different from some of the other shootings. Yeah. Uh, and it's very evident to me, having had the opportunity to meet all of these different people under these different circumstances, that Buffalo is unique, not only in what happened in on May 14th, but what happened here down through the years, what led us to May 14th. And so I'm very interested in systemic and generational change uh, in our community because that's what it's going to take. I think we as media, as journalists, what have you, we have kind of glossed over, and you mentioned this, anger. There's still anger that is pervasive in the community from from 514, from the fact that a white racist boy, man, young man, was able to do what he did and we've gone we've gone kind of from from sadness to 
okay, what's next? And sometimes we we have to ask, you know, there's there's still anger here. There's still anger here, and we kind of need, as journalists, we need to kind of let the people who are most affected be angry. And, you know, I, I, I sincerely do appreciate you acknowledging that because, you know, one of the things that I've tried to be <clears throat> consistently do, having had the opportunity to speak to the press, is, um, you know, um, there was a time when journalism and the press was a noble profession, uh, when they had a sacred job to do and they had the sacred trust of the people to hold people in power accountable and to be the voice of the people that time has long since come and gone mm-hmm. you know and I and and so my thing to the press is listen we need you we need your help we we need your help we need you to amplify this anger these injustices we need you to you know, don't chase me around and try to get me crying on camera. Go talk to this guy's parents. Go talk to the people who raised this guy, who 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 radicalized. Go stick the the mic in in a in, in a congressman or or a senator's uh, uh, face who who doesn't support uh, gun legislation. Go go chase them around. Go hold them accountable. You know, and that would be doing your job. And that's mm-hmm. how you can help us. You know. Um, I appreciate this opportunity to be on the show here. I'm just one person, like crying in the wilderness, basically. Um, you know, there's 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 other families here who are broken, who are hurt, um, and and probably and, and, and if I'm going to be honest about it, probably in, in worse shape than I am, in many ways. Um, and we got to remember them. We got to give them an opportunity to grieve, and we got to be empathetic. We got to be sympathetic. We got to care about them. You know, we 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 got to do better. We just got to do better uh, as a community. They call Buffalo, um, you know, a city of good neighbors, and I'm I'm very very thankful and appreciative of the extraordinary, extraordinary uh, concern and empathy and love shown to not just my family but to all of us as victims at this particular time. I'm thankful for that. But let's not let's not forget where we are, Buffalo is the most six six segregated city in America of its size. And it's probably only six, it was like two or one, but it's probably only number six because of gentrification, mm-hmm. quite frankly. The numbers are changing because of that, not because anything positive is really happening. So that's where we live. That's where we live, okay? Um, this is one of the first communities in America to be uh, 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 determined to be discriminatory in its hiring practice in, in, in the fire department, the police department. This Buffalo has a history. Okay? We didn't get to where we are by accident. Did you experience any of that segregation within the fire department? Um, not just in the fire department, my whole life. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, yeah. I'm born yeah. black in America. Um, it's not a day that I'm not cognizant of who I am and, and, and where I'm at and, you know, how to comport myself under these circumstances. Oh, absolutely. In the fire department? Absolutely. I'm very thankful for my career. You know, God's been good to me in spite of my own mistakes and missteps, in spite of all of those things. 
at the end of the day, you know, I do believe in God. And I do believe that the good work began in all of us will be completed. And so in spite of those challenges, um, I mean, the fire department has a long history of discrimination, of segregation, and even in much of it undocumented, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Um, because, you know, there's this, this, this thing of privilege. There's this whole thing of privilege. You know, a lot of people, there were people who didn't like me being the commissioner or didn't like me being whatever position I might have been in, be, not for only, re, only, only because I was black, for no other reason. You know, I had to deal with that, you know? And this whole, you know, long before it became a common terminology or a common thing or thing, this whole thing about replacement theory, you know, that was always, always present in the fire department, you know? Because Guys worrying that some other was coming to take well they their they, job. they own the fire department mm -hmm. i mean the fire department you know everybody historically emanated out of south buffalo uh, basically you know they own the fire department i mean you know they did things they brought their families in and you know you got to understand that each time you give somebody one of those jobs over the course of your career that's what a million dollars or so going back to that community <laughs> you know it's creating generational wealth mm -hmm. you understand what i'm saying so for us not to have those jobs for us not to have those opportunities is another reason why our communities and our people are living in the conditions they're living in okay this happened over time you know but this whole thing about the replacement theory and i had to explain to these guys and i had the opportunity to do that throughout my career um, you don't want me here because you assume I'm going to do what you did when you were here. That's your assumption, but that's not who I am. I've never used my position to hold anybody down, to put anybody down. My thing was to be equitable and give equal opportunity. Never cheated for anybody. And I know that was the case before, I, you know, down through the years. But that's not what I came to do. That's not what we do. And so this whole replacement theory is not one where they're afraid we're going to take their place. What they're afraid of is they're going to have to live our lives <laughs> as we've lived them under them. <laughs> that's what they're afraid of. That's the real fear, in my estimation. Yeah, it's it's the old, uh, oh, are minorities treated poorly in this country? Yeah, is that, right. is that, why, is right. that what you're afraid of? Right, because I don't want to be treated like that. But yet and still you perpetrate these 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 injustices mm -hmm. against other people getting to uh community the community what does the community still need what does it need what does it still need is i mean it needs opportunity but it needs opportunity that is equitable it needs i mean if 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 i as a black child and someone else as a majority or as a, as a white child start off, you know, if I'm down here and you're up here, that gap grows as we mature and matriculate through life. That gap grows, it widens. How am I ever gonna be able to compete? Even if you give me a job, even if you give me an opportunity, I'm still at a deficit in terms of my ability to compete and achieve with you. 
because I started off down here. And everything that I've experienced through my maturation is less than what you've experienced. I'm not, and then when we get to the point where we're adult or whatever, I'm not inheriting any generational wealth from my family. Mm-hmm. Quite the contrary. I've got to take care of my family who have been disenfranchised and disadvantaged our whole life. Where you are inheriting wealth and passing it and paying it for. And so this gap continues to widen. Something has to be done to level the playing field. You know, you hear about reparations, you hear about all kinds of things. But you know what? America had no problem paying them to to the Asians uh, for for the way they were treated. Had no problem paying, and they're even paying them. I think to to some of the uh, the Mexican uh, families or whatever that have been treated poorly at the border or whatever. Um, um, they have no problem having these discussions. Only when it comes to the black community. Only when it comes to our community. That's a non-starter. Because they understand how deep that hole is they've got to fill up. <laughs> they understand oh, yeah. that. They understand mm-hmm. that completely. So, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying any of these things out of a, out of a, in a, in a hateful way or any of that. It's, these are just facts. These, this is our truth. We got to have these kinds of conversations in order to effectuate change. We got to be willing to have these conversations. Is there still a fear about going into the tops? Do you shop at that? Did you shop at that tops? Will you will you set foot in there? Have you set foot in there since? Um, I I have not. I have not been back by tops. Um, close as I've been, I went to the to the library there for a um, a show that I was asked to participate in. Um, I've not been in tops. I first of all, um, I don't live in that community. That was not a store that I frequented. We might go by there uh, on a Sunday, coming from the nursing home, visiting my dad after church. Stop there to pick up something on the way home. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we might stop in there. It's not like I've never been there. I've been in there before, but that's not a place that I needed uh, to shop at. And my mom. Uh, again, the nursing home being where it is, a couple blocks from there, it was convenient for her to stop there on her way home. Um, uh, um, so, so no, I've not been there. Um, and I have no desire to be there. Um, um, there is nothing there for me. Um, but I understand if other people feel a need to, you know, to go there, maybe, maybe that in some way, uh, you know, makes them feel closer to their lost loved ones. Um, I don't feel that way. Um, uh, certainly, there's a big debate about whether Top should have reopened or not. Um, I did speak with them about it. There's people in my own family that did not want it to reopen. I thought it uh, thought it inappropriate for it to reopen. Uh, I wanted wanted it to be raised. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in, in other communities, that has happened. Uh, schools or whatever have been have been uh, raised and and reconstructed or whatever moved. Um, so, what, I, what, what do the tops people tell you? Um, well, I mean, you know, I I, I spoke with them. 
okay? And I'm telling them, I'm telling you the same thing I told them. Um, there's, you know, there's different thoughts about that. My particular way of seeing it is this. I cannot in good conscience say I want tops torn down, I want the store torn down because I understand that there are people in that community who depend on that store. Yeah. I understand that. Just because I don't need it doesn't mean that they don't need it. So I have to be respectful of their needs. And if you tear it down, what's going to take its place? There's no line last time I saw uh, 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 of people wanting to build stores in our in our neighborhood <laughs> markets, okay? And even if you tore it down, it would be a pretty long time before they would rebuild it in another location. So I have to be empathetic and have to be concerned about the people who depend on that store. Um, again, um, but it's not what you do as much as how you do it. So um, my thing to 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 the tops was to listen, do it in a in a respectful and empathetic way. Um, uh, allow the families, the, the the victims' families, to 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 be participate, be participatory to whatever degree they might want to be, and even if it's just in sharing the information about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, um, and to give them a moment before you reopen it and make it public to, if they would like to, come by and just grieve or see it for themselves without lights and cameras and all those kinds of things like that, that would be respectful. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. None of that happened. And so, again, uh, my problem is how it happened. Um, but again, I'm not concerned about that story. My mom's not there, you know. Uh, her soul's not there. You know, I don't need to be there. I don't feel closer to her by being there. And uh, I'm more concerned about working on a house not made by hands in the heavens because I believe in God. That's my faith. Um, and uh, if we uh, walk by faith and if we do what thus saith the Lord, then I'm going to have an opportunity to see my mother again. Um, that's what I'm concerned about, you know, going forward. You've spoken with Vice President Harris. You've spoken before Congress. But at the state and local level, have you spoken with local politicians? Have you spoken with state politicians? Have they reached out to you? What 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 have they said to you? Um, I, I you know I I know Mayor Brown. I've spoken with Mayor Brown. Um, I'm you know I've met with him. Actually, I spent. Uh, 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 a significant amount of time at the summit in, in, in his company. You know, we, we shared that moment um, in Washington. Um, uh, and I'm going to be meeting with him um, in the near future. Um, I have not spoken, uh, well, not spoken of anything in substance to, you know, to the governor, <laughs> which is a little odd because uh, I, I used I, for two years I worked for the governor. I'd, Assistant Commissioner of Homeland Security for Western New York, working for undergover appointed by Governor Cuomo, and working with uh, current Governor Hochul. Um, um, so I've not had a real opportunity to speak uh, with her yet, um, but that day will be coming, I'm sure. Has anyone uh, intimated to you that, hey, we're, these are some of the things that we're working on, anti-violence things, uh, anti-hate anti 
bills in in state government has anyone reached out to you to 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 express their um concerns about that or anything uh well i did uh, i have met with the uh um, state attorney general's office uh attorney general james office uh, just recently uh, had the opportunity to speak with them uh, there are some things in the works um a lot of it has not taken shape yet um this has never happened here um, and truly, this is a unique occurrence, even in our nation. Um, um, many people have have pointed out how unique this tragedy is, not just to Buffalo, but to our nation. Um, um, it is, uh, you know, Attorney General Garland, um, they have intimated how how this is the highest priority thing that they're working on this is a big deal um we've met with the civil service uh not civil service with the uh, civil rights uh head of civil rights for the attorney general's office uh you know she's been here so again in washington um all of those people have been uh very present uh, um and very involved and have made I think a very uh, a very sincere effort to uh, to keep us in the loop to let us know that they're working on our not just on our behalf but on the behalf of this nation um, uh, in this particular moment and so I'm very I'm very grateful to that um, you know uh, I've been dealing with people on the federal side quite a bit and going to different things around the country. Uh, with the different families, different rallies and marches, participating in those, um, and 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 in truth, um, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, I will have an opportunity to spend more time locally, and and help uh, address some of the things you you mentioned. Is is integration enough? Is is you know, I've heard from I've heard from from some people. You know, uh, gentrification can be a good thing and a bad thing. Is the is obviously we would love to keep Black Buffalo, its historical importance, keep it that way. What if whites move to the east side? What if African Americans move to the South Side. Is that a, is that is that an issue to you? Well, I mean, just the fact <clears throat> that you've carved out these communities and have referenced them as places where others don't live tells you a lot about where we live. <laughs> okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, and so um, I mean, gentrification. I, I think just by its very definition has a negative connotation um, because gentrification occurs in communities that have been systematically depressed where people has lived below um, what would be humane standards, equitable standards, and now are being displaced to make way for investment that should have been there when they were there. Um, so, you know, people 
uh, from the suburbs or whatever who are now empty nesters, paying high school taxes, no longer have kids or whatever. Um, they move back to the city. They take advantage of the walkable communities. They take advantage of the world-class first response. Um, they're older. They have health needs and all these other things. They take advantage. They come back to the city and they take advantage of those things. Um, and and they and and you know and we lose our properties, give our properties away that have been depreciating the entire time we were there. As soon as we give them away, they start to appreciate, and where we move to starts to depreciate. So um, I don't know how it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm for you living where you want to live. You know, I'm all for that. Um, but uh, we have to guard against giving away our properties. These are valuable pieces of property in this city. Um, uh, neglected, yes, um, but uh, they're well placed. They have historical uh, historical significance. You know, we've raised our families. We've raised our. We've been raised here, our families. We are a community, and we're stronger together. Absolutely. That's very well put. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Whitfield, I want to thank you again for being here. This is a, it's a special moment. Um, and, you know, I can't, I can't thank you enough for, for your honesty and your bravery. Uh, so, so, Thank you. Well, again, I thank you for being here and for and for having this discussion and for shining a light again on on this community, um, not only the issues, but the uh, the positiveness of it. Uh, you know, um, there's a lot of opportunity here, and uh, in this moment in time, uh, in this tragic moment in time. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes that creates the largest opportunity. So we want to make sure that we take advantage of that and create some generational change. Thanks again for being here. And I want to thank our listeners for listening to Buffalo What's Next, our daily discussion program on race, education, and related issues following the top shooting on May 14th. But before we go, I wanted to share with you the rest of Dr. Ansari's speech from September 15th's United We Stand Summit at the White House. Um, Good afternoon, everyone. Let me just say that the tragedy on 514 changed everything the way we think. Um, My health center is 2.8 miles away from the Tops Market. When we got the call, it was the Saturday we got the call, and you, you really just don't comprehend it. By Sunday, we had a crisis team. I had to put a crisis team together. Let me just explain. We're not trained in domestic terrorism. So we had to put a crisis team together. I brought my MDs, my nurses, my counselors, we brought them all to, to the tops employees that they had on Monday. We are still in complex trauma. 
People don't realize that I'm, I get emotional. People don't realize that when we were massacred, those TOPS employees left their purses, their medication, their, their everything they could possibly personal, they left in there. So what do we have to do? I said to, I said to the community, we need leadership. We need leadership. We're only four months out from 514. And if you don't know where Buffalo is, we're the second largest city in New York State. We're the third poorest in the country and the sixth most segregated in the country. But we're known as the city of good neighbors. But the shooter came 200 miles to massacre us. I'm just gonna share quickly the people that we really forgot were the funeral directors. I met with them. These are their loved ones. Their, the bodies, our families that they saw with no heads, no sides, they are trained. They are trained to bring pleasure to, to families who lose loved ones, but they were not prepared for this. We are not prepared for domestic terrorism. So I'm gonna move us to racial justice. I've been doing this work a long time. <clears throat> domestic terrorism has to be part of racial justice. How do we, how do we have our most vulnerable communities and we have no transparency of what the data looks like with white supremacy around us. Eyes for interconnectedness, all of us in here and all the, all the conversations we had this morning, we're not connected. We're now, in, Buffalo is now in a club that we should never wanna be in, but we have to get interconnected. M is for model community. Our community will never be the same again. So what is our new model? What does our new vision look like? Can, how do we reimagine our model community from this, ter this terrorism attack? And the last is empowerment. Community investment. I want to say community investment means to me sharing control and believing in people of power that can manage money. And that's all I'm going to say. Listening to WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. You know those dance moves you've been practicing? You know the ones. Oh, for sure. Well, they can make their debut with WBFO The Bridge at our first ever silent disco at our studios on October 1st. Check me out. Whether you love hip-hop and R&B, throwback and top 40 hits, or especially WBFO The Bridge, there will be something for everyone. 
Join us for this COVID-cautious event with added accessibility features. For tickets and even more information, visit wned.org events. Support for the Silent Disco is provided by Project Best Life.